Hello and welcome to the American Cinema Foundation Movie Podcast. I am your host, Titus, and today I am joined again by my good friend Flag Taylor for a conversation in our Middle Brow series about the 2015 film Brooklyn. This is a movie dear to my heart because it is entirely devoid of the sordid. This is an incredibly rare cinema experience these days, and it speaks to something our friend Peter Lawler used to call selective nostalgia. The movie Brooklyn is the story of Brooklyn in the early 50s, and it is a rosy picture. It does not look at the ugly side of the truth, but it aims to tell well the beautiful side of the truth in an articulate, thoughtful manner, and it shows things that we would otherwise not notice, that we would tend to forget. It suggests that beautification is a valid instrument of investigation, for example. It makes you more thoughtful and it makes events and places and people more interesting because we learn more about them. This is rare these days and all the more precious for that reason. The movie was not much of a success, partly because it was an independent movie, partly because it was mostly a production from Britain. John Crowley, the director, Nick Hornby, the writer, and of course Colm Toybin, the novelist whose work was adapted, but most of the cast as well. In fact, our strapping Italian-American young man is the only American in the main cast. And nevertheless, it was a success in the festival circuit, and it got all the prestige of three very important Oscar nominations. It didn't win. Flag and I and many others, I suppose, believe Saoirse Ronan should have won for her portrayal of Eilish, the young protagonist of the story. And it was also nominated for Best Picture and for Best Writing. So it's a movie that we hope will have a posterity on the strength of its prestige. But we will hope to persuade you that this is a very thoughtful and a very careful movie lovable and at the same time intelligent and the screenwriter and the novelist have talked about how they tried to learn from Jane Austen and I believe they have succeeded to an extent. Yeah, I think that's true. I'll just add to your praise of uh, Sirsha Ronan. Um, I can't remember... I don't see many movies anymore with you know young kids. I don't go to the theater to see all the Oscar-nominated films, and I don't find myself in theaters that much. And so maybe my opinion doesn't... Uh, I don't have scores of films to compare it to, but I can't think of a better performance by a leading man or woman in a film in a very long time. The only thing that popped into my head as being as impressive, this won't surprise you, Titus, we've talked about this film in a previous conversation, but Ulrich Muir, the German actor who plays Gerd Wiesler, the Stasi captain, the lives of others, I think their performances are comparable in, in the emotional depth that is displayed, but it's displayed so subtly and in such an interesting and restrained way. It's just amazing the power of emotion that comes through in both of those performances. So although I did not see the woman who won Best Actress that year, I didn't see it. But still, it's pretty stunning to me that Saoirse Ronan didn't win the, the award. So, oh well. <laughs> Shame on them. Yes, indeed. Well, Flag, first of all, thanks for joining me again. Thanks for suggesting this. It's a favorite of all of us at Postmodern Conservative, and I will append our friend Peter Lawler's review of the movie at the time to the post where we will publish this. But first of all, of course, take us through the plot. Sure. So it's the story of Ailish Lacey and her family. 
we first meet Ailish when she's living in her hometown in Ireland, Inniscorthy. She's living with her mother and sister. Her father has passed away, and you can tell her mother really hasn't ever recovered from that. She's a very reserved and lonely, lonely woman who's not really able to engage in any kind of deep way with her daughters, either of them, really. And very quickly, it becomes clear that Rose, the older daughter has hatched this plan with the help of a priest in America named Father Flood to send Ailish to Brooklyn. It seems that Rose has decided that Ailish's prospects in her hometown are not great, either career-wise or with a man, and so it's decided that Ailish will go to Brooklyn. This is 1952. She spends about a year there, is at first very lonely and has some difficulty adjusting, but then she meets a man named Tony, and they fall in love. Shortly after after this, Rose, who is back in Ireland, she dies in her sleep and Ailish returns home to be with her mother and to comfort her family. And there she meets a young man named Jim Farrell, who turns out to be a love interest. And at this point, the movie, like the novel, becomes there, there's some tension because suddenly there's a weight where you feel Ailish having to decide which path she should choose, whether she should go back to America and rejoin Tony or stay with her mother in Ireland to comfort her and and then be with Jim Farrell perhaps there. Eventually she chooses to return to Brooklyn. But as I said at the beginning, I think what's most attractive about the movie is that it's a love story, but it's also a story of self-discovery and self-knowledge. It's about the need for a home, but also how home and family can become limiting factors and finding your own freedom and finding your own way in life can be difficult depending on the nature of the support your family provides you. Ailish's transformation, I think, is, again, the most affecting thing in the film. Not that the love story is also not affecting, but I think just watching Ailish from beginning to end is mesmerizing. She comes across at the beginning as very reserved, very quiet, but also very sensitive and observant. You can tell that she pays attention to other people. She pays attention to their emotional needs. But we also wonder at the beginning of the film whether Ailish can be too accommodating to others. She is subject to the tyranny of Miss Kelly, this woman who runs a grocery store in Enniscorthy, and this woman is just an absolute tyrant. Ailish kind of puts up with it, and I think we're made to wonder whether she really makes sense to put up with this terrible woman. As the film goes on, as she finds herself in Brooklyn, I think her self-possession increases. She becomes more and more self-confident, but she never loses that sensitivity and that humility that she has at the beginning of the film. It's funny, what I think is most interesting about the character is that you can say both that the transformation is significant and impressive, but also that it's very, very subtle and easy to miss. Ailish has a very charming personality, and she's able to hold people's sympathy and attention, but she does it in a very non-showy way. Usually when you talk about people being charming, you're talking about people who have this outgoing personality, who have this very upfront sense of humor. But Ailish's charm stems from something deeper. And I think ultimately it's more enduring and attracts better people to her than maybe a more showy personality would.
Yes, you're right, she is a very quiet girl at first and passive, not just with regard to her job, but also at home and also with boys. She is asked by her best friend Nancy whether she would like to go to a dance, but Eilish only says, what's the use I'm living anyway? Which of course doesn't at all answer for her previous behavior, because her moving to America is a very recent decision. And it does seem Ireland has been a restraint on her personality. She cannot be who she is there. She doesn't really have prospects. Indeed, at the dance they attend, she only watches other couples dance for a spell and then her friend goes dancing as well and she leaves. It's her family home. She loves her mother and she is very close with her sister Rose, who is both intelligent like Eilish is and sensitive like Eilish is, but is more delicate and more thoughtful in a dutiful way. But she also has this sense of enterprise. She contrives to have Eilish go to America. In the confines of Ireland in 1952, this is both something that happens somewhat routinely and a very daring thing to do. That's an unusual combination. And so are both these two sisters. They have this combination of daring and a certain willingness to undergo danger, of course, but not just danger, a risk to the heart. On the other hand, they're very calm and peaceful women. Eilish only reveals herself and, as you say, discovers herself at the same time in America. She needs different circumstances. But there is something in her daring that seems to be similar to her sister's that sends her off on this journey to begin with. And so she quickly makes for the new world where she seems, if anything, more passive in the beginning because she knows even less how to deal with the world around her. She is, first of all, a very lucky young woman. It wouldn't seem so because she doesn't have any future in Ireland, it seems. But there is her sister and her mother who have both sheltered her and found her an avenue to a future, if in the new world. She is so lucky as to have the Catholic Church and Father Flood who organizes for a number of young women this journey to America. And not just that, but takes care of them when they arrive there. She's lucky to find a good boarding house for young Irish girls run by a somewhat strict but pleasant and good-natured woman played by Julie Walters in another very pleasant and somewhat affecting but also in a subtle way performance. And the priest helps her find a job, not just a boarding house. Also through the priest she finds a school He enlists her in bookkeeping classes, evenings at the college. So there are actually remarkable resources available to her that you wouldn't see from her own lack of astuteness and lack of a forward personality. You wouldn't think to begin with that she's the kind of girl who'd leave her home and all she knows. And you wouldn't think in the second place that she's the kind of person who could thrive in New York City in the 50s. But you'd be wrong. (laughs) That's part of the very pleasant surprise of the movie, that there is an entire system of associations to a large extent dependent on faith and ethnicity. The other thing is, of course, the Irish dances, where she meets her, strangely enough, Italian beau. There are things available to people who otherwise are fairly poor. And nevertheless, these organizations allow them to have a chance at a future. And as you said about Eilish, they allow her to discover herself. 
Trinkism. Yeah, it's very clear that without that infrastructure, you know, it would be a uphill climb and, and extraordinarily difficult. And so just to add one more into the mix of the ways in which she's supported and her personality is kind of fostered. The other interesting character, of course, is Miss Fortini, her supervisor at the department store Bartacci's. And Miss Fortini, you know, we don't see tons of interactions with her. In the novel, we find out that they go to lunch together and the relationship is a bit more developed. But in the film, we see Miss Fortini encouraging Ailish to be more outgoing with customers, engage them and talk to them and make be friendly enough that the customers feel like they're being attended to in a kind of sincere way. And that in itself forces Ailish to put herself out there more. And then you brought up uh, Mrs. Keho, the boarding house mother. And I think just the phenomenon of the boarding house, of course, is very unfamiliar to uh, people today, right? Mrs. Keho clearly sees herself in the role of protecting women from impulses that would lead them astray, right? So obviously there are no men allowed in the boarding house. She's giving them advice, giddiness as the eighth deadly sin. So, so there's what we would today call life coaching, but really is the inculcation of virtue, encouraging women to behave a certain way. She talks about Ailish's oily skin and what she should do about that and how to present yourself to the outside world. And so Mrs. Coho, I think, plays an even more important function than you might think. You know, she comes across as kind of a busybody and, and a little annoying. But I think the contrast between her and Miss Kelly back in Ireland is clear. They're both exercise authority, but one does so in a tyrannical way, and the other one for the purpose of making the people who live in the boarding house independent and able to support themselves and able to go out in the world and hopefully live on their own soon. Yes, it's a textbook Aristotelian case of <laughs> tyranny versus rule for the common good. You're right, she's an important character, not least because of the way she shows something we do not see today anymore. A combination of strictness with regards to manners and personal love. She cares about the girls in her care and invests her life in their own, and she's preparing them for marriage to a large extent. She doesn't seem to have a husband herself, or perhaps she's a widow. We're not introduced into her private life, but we see what a combination of strictness and tenderness she is capable of. She's by no means a Puritan. She is preparing these girls for marriage, wants them to be pretty, encourages them to go to the dances and to find young men and everything that you'd expect in the life of a young woman. She's against giddiness instead. She has realized that American freedom makes for deep unseriousness. That superficiality, in fact, is very, very deep and could lead people astray. And we see one woman, for example, who was abandoned by her husband. Right, Sheila, a little bit older than the other residents of the boarding house. Freedom could end up bad for a woman through absolutely no fault of her own. And then there are, of course, the other young women who keep going from boyfriend to boyfriend who think freedom means you can have fun, go to the movies, don't bother with silly duties like feeding the poor in church because they want to have fun, as in Indeed, we are told girls do, but they don't seem to understand that there's a future ahead of them, which of course their mother, the only one they really have in this new world of Brooklyn, has to think about these things. Of course, this is America and popular entertainment. You do not see parental authority, whereas here, the father in a far more discreet way and the mother in a far more direct way, although they are not biological or legal parents, they do play father and mother in a very effective, authoritative way. And in fact, I think it's quite Tocquevillian that the mother in America is a stricter, sterner figure than the father. <laughs> nice revealing touch. Right. 
to tie up our discussion of this kind of civil society infrastructure that Ailish is able to inhabit. It protects her from, you know, mistakes she might make, not from viciousness, but perhaps just from naivete. It gives her a kind of self-confidence. And then when she does get homesick and she gets sad, this is when Father Flood takes the initiative to enroll her at Brooklyn College in bookkeeping. And now Ailish has a sense of purpose. At first it comes off as, well, if we just keep her busy, that will prevent her from being engulfed by this sadness and homesickness. Part of that is true, but it's not just busyness. It's that now she has a target to aim at. And so she has a purpose. She's impressed by the lectures that she hears. There's this nice little scene during a break, during one of her first classes, and one of her professors is lecturing about a Supreme Court case having to do with insurance companies or something. And and one of the male students walks up to her and says, did you understand a word of that? Ailish doesn't say that she did, but what she says is, isn't amazing. He, he wasn't reading anything. He was just speaking from things that he knew in his head. And so right away, you see that she's just impressed with this new world of knowledge. And she decides that, you know, I want to be part of this. And so that sense of purpose is something else that is added by this wonderful uh, infrastructure provided by Father Flood and her work in the church. So far, we've only discussed the passive part of the art of association, what she needs and what she is helped along with, because she is passive to such an extent in the beginning. But all these associations also have an active part. As Tocqueville would say, the art of association is about being free. And that means that you have to take initiative and you have to look out for your own self-interest, but you can do it in a way that is mindful of and helpful to others as well. And the school is the most important because she's a very intelligent girl. And this is the only place where she can exercise that intelligence. Even here, of course, it starts as obedience. It is the priest who gets her into class without asking for her to do it or whether she wants to. He knows that she's good at it and she likes it and he helps her out. And of course, class and what we see is lectures that really are demanding of the students, as you pointed out. So you have to just keep up. This is helpful to her because it doesn't force her to put herself forward. But at the same time, it allows her to discover her powers. In obedience, she becomes active, whereas she was passive before. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, as you pointed out, also true of her job. Her first job in America is not what she is supposed to be doing. Her education in bookkeeping as an accountant, she is a counter girl in a clothing store. But her boss there keeps an eye on her and helps her understand that this is an occasion for socialization. Because in America, the life of commerce is the life of American manners. And Americans are open, warm people. And so they expect the person at the counter to be friendly. And this is a new departure for Eilish. She doesn't have any friends in America. How could she be friendly? course an all-american motto fake it till you make it it's not quite that simple we see that real associations where real human beings know each other as persons are absolutely necessary and the movie stretches things so that in every case she gets the kind of person she needs for example she doesn't need to have a personal relationship with her professor because she feels far more confident about her intellect She does need a personal relationship with the girl who's very pretty and has American assuredness about the opportunities and safety of a young woman. She does need a person there to imitate, then to push her forward, to become more friendly, to talk more to the clients, to smile more, and to discover that she's in a certain sense at home. And again, this is straight out of Tocqueville. In America, women have a great freedom to flirt, that is to say, to discover themselves and to make fun of young men in safety. This, of course, brings us to the other part, the dances. 
the community and the faith organized this as well, dancing, where young women are encouraged to spend time with young men in a way where they are, again, safe. They can have fun, but it's hard to get in trouble, especially for a girl that's more reserved like Eilish. That's quite useful, actually. She wants to be asked to dance. You do not know what she might think about all these things in the abstract, but in practice, she does want to be asked to dance, and she accepts young men who ask her to dance. In all these ways, the institutions around her encourage obedience, to encourage practice, to encourage young men and women to become active rather than passive. This is, of course, the reason why changes in characterization are so subtle in the movie. You have to go through all these steps. And the other thing is helping the community. From the beginning, she can, in her obedience, serve food to the poor in church. These are old Irish men who are broken and who have very little joy or humanity in their life. She's at the beginning of her new life in the new world. These men have found nothing in the new world that gives them hope and a future. The community and the church are the one place where they're treated like human beings. Somebody will give them food and talk to them and spend time with them, not because they have to, just because they want to. Now, of course, it's your duty to do it, but you have to want to to do it, otherwise you just don't really need to. And that's a very affecting moment where you hear that these are men who worked and built the tunnels in the 20s, that they lived hard lives. And you hear, of course, in a lovely scene, one of the old men sing in Gaelic. Now, if that doesn't affect you, I can't really explain the charm of the ethnic community. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. It's interesting, too, how subtly the transformation is handled in terms of her not being homesick, right? She still receives letters, and it's not that she decides that Inniscorthy was this horrible prison that she had to escape, and now she's perfectly happy, but rather it's just that she understands that this is a place where she can thrive, where people can care about her, and where she can find people to care about. Once she meets Tony, she seems a little bit surprised that he's taking an interest in her. And once he does, this allows her personality to blossom and she's more charming and funnier than she had been before. And so it just shows you how someone taking an interest in you, however insignificant it seems at first, can force you to see yourself in a better light. You want to put your best foot forward and to show the best side of yourself because suddenly you're reminded that, yo, that side really exists. And so that part of the film is just so, so charming. And the actor who plays Tony Emery Cohen, you know, he's also great and comes across as very earnest and open, less reserved than Ailish, but just charmed and enamored by her from the outset, but also is utterly decent and understands boundaries and respects her. And so just the way that that relationship is handled from the beginning through the initial awkwardness to them really realizing that they love one another is just great to watch. Yeah, even here, as I said, the movie stretches the imagination at every place and in each case, if you think about it, it's very rewarding, not just pleasant. He's an Italian guy who likes Irish girls, he says, and so he goes to the Irish ethnic dances. Now, he doesn't pass for Irish in any way, but it is allowed. These are ethnic dances, but it's America. Nobody has anything against an Italian boy who wants to go to an Irish dance. Even in this way, the setup of the organization encourages, at any rate, people to go find love. He's smitten with her long before she is with him, and she's far more reserved. Now, that's partly because he's not that clever a guy, and she's more clever, and that creates a difference. But partly it's because he loves beauty. 
He looks like Italian kids do. I know American Italian kids who look exactly like that today. The physical type is unmistakable. Yeah, the combination so. of natural health and a pleasant and funny outlook on things. It is quite winning. I think he also knows that she's clever, that she's a little smarter than he is. So it's not only that he's struck by her beauty, but he's also admires her self-possession and her cleverness. There's that scene in the diner where they first eat dinner, and he just wants to hear her talk about bookkeeping. Yes. <laughs> Which is really funny, right? Can, yes, you yes. less, can you think of a less interesting topic? But he's just attracted to the fact that she's interested in this and she's smart enough to be able to relate it to him. He doesn't care about the bookkeeping, but he wants to see her display of knowledge. <laughs> you know, it's like a spectacle for him. Yes. Uh, and so that's a deeply affecting scene, too. There you have it, folks. Love will make even bookkeeping interesting. <laughs> there you go. And then, and... of course, the other scene with them that's great, where she agrees to have dinner with his family. Two of her mates at the boarding house, Patty and Diana, put her through her paces and teach her how to properly eat pasta so as not to splash the sauce on her. And of course, when they're training her, there's no sauce. But when <laughs> when one of them sees that a splash would occur, she says, you just splash, you know, sauce on your blouse, start over, you know, and it's very, it's very, very fun. Of course, when she does go and have dinner with Tony's family, the Fiorellos, I think he's one of four brothers. I think that's right. He has two brothers who are roughly his age and then the one really younger one who's funny but the family of course is astounded at her skill in eating pasta right they're all wondering how does she know how to do this given that she's admitted that she's never had pasta it's just a great she says she had classes she took classes (laughs) (laughs) and that family is also pleasant to watch you see a working class family a lot of it is recognizably American. You see there's way more equality between parents and children here than you found in Ireland, in families that are nevertheless just as loving. But the manners are different and the expectations are very different. By the same token, Eilish discovers just how much more freedom Americans have. There are entire parts of Tony's life that he doesn't much talk of, his job for one, but baseball, about which he is, of course, fanatic. Yeah. But there are all these other aspects of life, and there are, of course, other kinds of freedom. He doesn't just take her to a ball game, which is her first experience of America in the numbers. You see 20,000 other people there. (laughs) He takes her to Coney Island. Again, you see America in the numbers there, and you see American leisure and American freedom. These things are all new to her, and that makes it much easier to make it new to the audience as well. Partly, there have been a few generations, and so the strange clothing and manners might suffice to arrest attention, but it's actually quite hard to make this thing reveal itself as what it is, because you have to make it new again. It has to seem fresh. And everything that teenagers go through, Eilish goes through, and she has, for all her reserved character that seems more fitting in a Jane Austen novel than in a coming-of-age American movie, you see that she Americanizes very, very quickly, partly because there's an universal charm to American manners, partly because she really does fit here. As she discovers her self-confidence, she realizes fully who she was and partly why she was unhappy where she came from. Just like she has to take classes to be ready for Italian food, which is new to her, she has to take classes to be ready to go bathing. She has to prepare for things like swimsuit. And you see the charming, awkward, and eager young woman who wants to make a good impression to look beautiful and is looking forward to being free with a young man in this way, which is a totally new experience to her, of course, but it's a totally new experience to every teenager in the movie because of its compression of maybe a year of life in Brooklyn. 
gives you a very good sense of what being a girl in America really is like. When the discovery of freedom, of eroticism, of fun and friendship and leisure, and of duties, educational jobs, what have you, all of these things do rush, and they come in a compressed way and together, and this is a very rare portrayal in the element of the beautiful. Yeah, when Ailish tells Miss Fortini that she has an Italian boyfriend, she says, Oh, does he talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers and his mom all the time? <laughs> and Ailish says, no, he doesn't. And Miss Fortini says, well, he can keep him that. She's very different from most Italian men. And Tony himself has you know, enough self-knowledge to realize baseball may not be the most interesting topic um, for Ailish. Yeah, that's another part of what you'd expect American organizations to make possible. Although the young man has to take all the risks of rejection and you see him try to handle with his teenager brains all the bravery it takes to risk rejection and the further you get in, the risk of having your heart broken. Of course, nobody's going to help you out with that. If you're a young man in America and somebody breaks your heart, tough luck. There's no preparation for that in the society or the manners or anything. If anything, you'll be humiliated for it by your friends, which is not a bad idea in a society that offers you no other help at least strengthening your heart against heartbreak by humiliation when you start crying, that's quite useful. Yeah. But it's a desperate measure. And so you see he is sensitive. He has a head on his shoulders and tries to court in a decent and also an intelligent way. He knows he has picked a girl he would be lucky to have, and he lives through this social situation where the woman dominates the, yeah, the whole courting yeah, ritual. He respects her schooling, and he respects the fact that she's both working and in school, and you know, obviously very busy, so when they can't go to the movies or go to the dance, he just requests that she allow him to walk her home from class at night, and that's it. And so, yeah, he's astute in understanding that she has other things in her life. I guess the bumps in the road, I think, are interesting and important, too. There's a moment during the dinner with the family where he makes, I think, a kind of naive joke that their kids have to be Brooklyn Dodgers fans. And this is sort of off-putting to Ailish. You can see on her face that this makes her uncomfortable. And then shortly thereafter, Tony tells her for the first time that he loves her. And she does not say it back to him immediately. Only a week later does she, I think she puts it something like this, that she says, if you were to ask me that again, I would reply that I love you. So, yeah, maybe it's worth talking about this resistance on Ailish's part. And what do you think is off-putting about the line about their children? Is it just too much too soon? Or does it make her feel like home? Presumably at home and in a score, the problem was she felt like, well, she was just being put on this path and she had no control over it. Yeah, and in the Irish interlude after the second act, this does come up. People who know you and who talk about when you're going to have kids. And of course, these days, American women complain about that, if anybody should bring it up. It's partly indiscreet, but it is primarily an offense against freedom. Yeah. Eilish is, like her sister, very unusual for her place, precisely because she takes offense at these conventions. America is a better fit for her because you can more easily take offense mores and manners are not enforced against your individual freedom the same way. Especially because she is a guest in somebody else's house. Everything in this case, as opposed to the repeat of this issue in Ireland, shows that she's a foreigner. She is, for the first time, in an Italian home. For the first time, meets an Italian family. It's the delicate situation of meeting the family of this young man she is going with, but with whom things have not been settled. 
she is in a strange land in all these ways and he just casually brings up this joke about their kids who have to fit into his family be dodgers loyalists the yankees and giants are intolerable of course this is back when uh, the giants and the dodgers were still in new york right. that far back <laughs> And she's naturally more reluctant, even when she, as you pointed out, in this complicated way, does confess her love. She tells him not to say that about the children again. Right. She wants, in certain ways, to be in charge of her own future. And in America, your ethnicity or your family will not court for you. You have to marry by your own wits. And Mm -hmm. as we now see, this leads to social catastrophes. But in times when it was much better managed, it worked fairly well, but it did require a certain respect for individual freedom and variability. And you couldn't simply take for granted that a young woman would just marry at the age it comes and have kids as she's supposed to and so forth. Even then, things were different than they would be in the old world, because just like the man has to take all the risks of being rejected and making a fool of himself individually in his own name without any help, so also the woman has to think about motherhood, about marriage and children for herself and square with the seriousness of such a thing. I keep bringing up Jane Austen here again. You see that it's an improper thing to do, especially to a young woman who knows her own mind and stands on that dignity that she will make up her own mind for herself. But partly, of course, it shows, again, the disadvantage at which a young man finds himself in America. Just like in the case of Eilish, the characterization works so well because it brings out in an unexpected way all the social infrastructure, all the art of association that makes Americans free and is especially useful for women. So also in the case of the young man, the characterization brings out in a very useful way how disadvantaged young men actually are. And he is at every point vulnerable in a way she is actually not. The effect of their courtship is that her confidence shoots through the roof. She blooms, but he becomes more fearful because with every step he invests his heart more with no assurances and risks being heartbroken and humiliated. It's really partly his doing that she realizes that she has the kind of self-possession to allow for her to resent a little bit the comment that he makes, right? So it's, yes. it's partly sort of his doing in an ironic way. That's the Ailish that he appreciates and loves. Yes. He, if he were honest with himself, he wouldn't have it any other way. Tony was not attracted to a kind of passive, resigned immigrant who's just looking for a husband. You know, that's not what he saw in her initially, and that's not what he grows to appreciate as they get to know one another early in their courtship. And of course, maybe we should now talk about the third act. While their relationship is blooming and doing wonderfully, of course, she gets the call. Father Flood and Miss Fortini come to her during work, and Father Flood has to share the news that Rose has died in her sleep back in Enniscorthy. And this raises a plot detail that is handled, I think, obliquely in the film, but I think more straightforwardly in the novel. Rose knew that she was sick, and part of the reason that she sent Ailish to America was precisely that she not fall into the place where she would be the only one to take care of her mother. It was an even more dramatic act of self-sacrifice than it seemed initially. Yes. Of course, Ailish is good enough to understand that she does need to go back to comfort her mother, and Tony understands that this is the right thing to do, but of course he's afraid right away that if she goes home, she won't come back. 
And so he gets it in his head that the best thing to do would be for them to get married at City Hall before she goes home. Is this a decent thing to do or is it trying to tie her down in a way for selfish purposes? Obviously, Eilish agrees to it, so she doesn't seem completely put off by it. This completes the portrayal I've given of the insecurity of the American man. He has to deal with modern woman and he doesn't really know how to deal with anybody else, but it is a handful. This brings up something again that has to do with institutions and associations. In this movie, unlike anywhere else, you see what we now are scared of as the patriarchy. The full force of the law is supposed to be brought to bear to arm the jealousy of the husband. Now, we don't see that in an active way here, but only in a passive way. This young man is afraid, for very good reasons, that he will lose the love of his life unless she marries him. Now, this turns upside down the idea that men are forced into marriage, but is a young man who has no what we call commitment issues. His issue is that he has absolutely no assurances and no claims. Right. He needs the laws to give strength to his love, which otherwise just isn't going to be enough. And she says very openly, well, wouldn't my promise be enough? That's a good retort. Why shouldn't he be satisfied with that, given that he appreciates her trustworthiness and her decency? And he says, well, if you promise, if you're willing to do that, you should also be willing to marry me. Yes, this blue-collar boy who's a plumber and doesn't seem to have read books in his life is astute. He understands immediately that he's in a very vulnerable position. Eilish is, of course, proud, and this is the moment where it shows for the first time that there is a connection between her intelligence and her passivity in her pride. She is aloof. She keeps herself away from others. He understands and fears this, and he is right to do so. The stories suggest that, yeah, actually, he'd have lost her. And it's not just that, it's that he understands himself, he acts on his vulnerability. And this is a hard thing to see. You do not see young men in movies who are aware of how much their eroticism makes them vulnerable and how hard it is to deal with that sensibly. If you want to see what the reasonable side would be of the silly bravado that often is seen in movies about young men, here it is. So she goes back to Enniscorthy and spends time with her mother. She visits Rose's grave, but she also goes out with her friend Nancy, who's now engaged to be married. She ends up going to Nancy's wedding, but she meets another young man named Jim Farrell, who has a lot of similar qualities and is attractive to her for many of the same reasons that Tony was. He's also very respectful of her space and respectful of her freedom and doesn't try to push her, but I think gently suggests you and I would have a pretty good life together. Nonetheless, she ends up choosing Tony. She chooses to go back to Brooklyn rather than marrying Jim Farrell, and he's all but proposed. But Titus, you just suggested that she may have stayed with Jim had it not been for the actual marriage in America. Yeah. And should have been right to stay in Ireland because Jim Farrell is a good man. They obviously are attracted to each other and have the time and the patience to discover who each of them is and whether and that they would fit together very well. The law forces people to stay together once they consent to marriage, but does nothing to indulge the crazy idea that only one person that you're likely to meet could be a good spouse for you. Yeah. The law doesn't care about that part. Right. It only adds force to jealousy. But of course, you have to love somebody to be jealous. You have to contribute that by your own judgment and accidents of life circumstances. And she's a very attractive young woman. She's smart and she has it together. 
what are the chances that she will not find suitors? Yeah. In Ireland, Jim Farrell is her social superior. He is more polished in manners. He's a better dresser, too, because he comes from a family with a certain standing, with a certain elegance, if you look at their house and their habits and their golf tournament and so forth. Are they forth. owners or managers of the golf club? One of the, exactly. the two. Yeah, and, he, and I think the parents have just given him the house. Yeah, so he's very well off financially, and it's clear that they'd be very happy together. Um, and comfortable. Would um, be a perfect Jane Austen marriage. Ailish would take the job that Rose had at, I forget what company it is, but she would walk into that office and be the bookkeeper for this company. So it'd all be very easy. I'm inclined, though, to disagree with you about the fact of the marriage to Tony being the determining factor. I see Ailish also understanding that if she were to stay with Jim, she would have to reject the part of herself that she has discovered in America. She goes back to Tony not only because she loves him and she committed to him, but she also doesn't want to let go of a part of herself that she knows is weirdly only available to her in America. She doesn't want to go and do the job that Rose did. She doesn't want to live in Jim Farrell's house. And she doesn't want to deal with the kind of people that are embodied by Miss Kelly, right? There's the moment in the film that is more pronounced than it actually is in the novel is when Miss Kelly announces to her that she knows that she's married. You know, how dare she be going around with Jim Farrell? You know, Eilish stands up and says, I forgot what this town can be like. She doesn't say that in the novel. It's handled much more subtly. The movie insists on the social differences between Ireland and America, and I think rightly. In America, she has a future tied up with freedom and its risks. Tony doesn't just marry her, he makes her what you would call a value proposition in the modern world. He takes her out to Long Island, yeah, that's where a he's, beautiful scene. he's got a plan to build a house. They will have a certain kind of freedom together there, and the future there is new, not like the previous generation. After all, they're Italian-Americans, they're fairly recent immigrants themselves. They can move out of Brooklyn and into a house. That's also part of what she has in America that she wouldn't have in Ireland, the newness and freedom of this with, of course, the risks. Right. It's not a town. It's not a developed place with a community. It's what could be. The film insists on her distaste for Irish society where gossip and moralism harm people precisely because they feel trapped, constrained. They turn on each other because they don't really have a way forward. They don't have anything to look forward to. What they've got to spend their days on is bickering and learning each other's guilty secrets and gossiping. And this infuriates her and again her pride flares up. And the phrase added for the movie, I forgot what this place could be like, suggests that she always knew this. Her initial passivity, as I suggested, is tied up with her pride and her rejection of such a place. Because it's so petty. Yeah. The first time she goes to America, the decision isn't really hers. Rose arranges everything. The second time when she returns to Tony, that decision is hers. But she would never have been able to make the decision to return without the transformation that occurred when she was there. <laughs> so it's only her self-discovery while she's in America that enables her to return to America. Otherwise, 
if Jim Farrell had walked along before she'd ever left, she probably would have ended up with him. Yes, of course. And she might have ended up that way anyway, because Jim Farrell offers her a superior social standing, and that's freedom from the pettiness. And of course, she would be close to her mother, and that would also weigh in the balance, just like in the other case, the fact that she made love to this young man, that she married him, and that he offered her this future of a house and a home together weighs very much in the balance. I would insist less than you do on the self-discovery or the freedom of the choice and more on the circumstances available to her in either case. What the community is like matters. And on her return to Ireland, they now see her as an American. They wonder whether they look provincial. Yeah, she had this innovation that she discovered at Coney Island that if you're going to the beach, you should wear your swimsuit under your clothes. All her Irish friends are like, how did you think of that? This is the most amazing thing ever. (laughs) There's American pop culture bursting forth. And you see in their attitude that they do feel America is the land of freedom where there is a new possibility. And they are themselves, as she says, calm, civilized, charming. They're not free, however. There's a difference there. As I suggested, the Jane Austen thing to do would have been to marry in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Stick to the devil you know is the Jane Austen creed, you could say. (laughs) But um, I don't think Jane Austen would have put it like that. (laughs) Indeed, no, but... <laughs> but I'm not Jane Austen. Now, uh, Eilish chooses to be an American or discovers just how much she has Americanized because there are things that now she will not put up with. And that is because, as you suggested, in America she discovered just how much freedom matters to her. Right. Well, freedom, but also home. She eventually comes to see Brooklyn as home. This so that's a, tricky because she's not yeah. even going to make a home of Brooklyn. Well, maybe not Brooklyn, but... Some... America, right? She has discovered yeah. that she's at home in America. That for her, home includes freedom. And yeah. then freedom, on the other hand, is tempered by love, which does offer a more stable home than freedom would. Right. But freedom matters. She can put her brains to use and she can be proud in America in a way that wouldn't really be possible to her in Ireland. Yeah. She would have love and home in Ireland too. She wouldn't have freedom. Yeah. So let me read to you the very last paragraph of the novel directly on this point we're discussing. So in the novel, she's traveling on the train to Cork where she will get the boat back to America. She has left a note in Jim Farrell's house explaining to him her decision to return to America. On the train, she is imagining Jim Farrell discovering the note and then going to Ailish's flat and knocking on the door. And then Ailish's mother would answer the door and tell Jim Farrell what happened. And so this is the last paragraph. She has gone back to Brooklyn, her mother would say. And as the train rolled past MacMine Bridge on its way towards Wexford, Ailish imagined the years ahead when these words would come to mean less and less to the man who heard them and would come to mean more and more to herself. She almost smiled at the thought of it, then closed her eyes and tried to imagine nothing more. So just going back to Brooklyn, those words would mean more and more to Ailish. This decision, but that 15 years, Jim Farrell, he's going to forget about this. The way Toybin ends this book actually supports your thesis about, about freedom. And that's what makes the film special. It is, as I said, presented in the element of the beautiful. It is almost entirely devoid of anything sordid. But it is wide awake about the dangers of freedom, about the alternative 
to freedom and about the conditions freedom requires in order to lead people to a decent, happy, loving life. Right. And yeah, uh, the, you the could say that it's especially needful to have this sort of selective nostalgia for the 50s. For certain parts, it's selective now because this sort of situation is almost inconceivable the associations and the education of the sentiments and habits of young people so that they can be happy while being free so they can be truly free this is rare now yeah i think that's right and this movie just visually it's so beautiful and arresting this is the other way in which it reminded me of the lives of others i think a lot of attention was paid to the color palette and how just it looks right you have oranges and greens and browns and it's all so fluid and everything has blended together in such a precise way visually yeah this is a movie where you can tell which act you're in simply by the colors you see ireland twice for example in the first and third acts but it looks different in the third act, Ireland actually looks more beautiful and more colorful mm-hmm. because Eilish is there now. Yeah. And she is who she became in Brooklyn. Right. These colors had come up in Brooklyn, actually. Yeah. It's clever and pleasing at every turn. And that's just, this is what middle brow art should be. It is intelligent, but it is, first of all, pleasant. It tells a good story, but it is also decent. It's a remarkable mix of qualities. Yeah, I hope we see um, Saoirse Ronan in another film soon. She's just astounding and only 24 years old. And she's been nominated for three Oscars already. I guess I didn't see Atonement, but I guess she was in Atonement when she was very young in 2007. And then she was nominated for Lady Bird, which I also didn't see. But I don't know. I'm surprised I don't hear more about her. But that's a fairly impressive accumulation of nominations all before the tender age of 25. Yes, she's a very talented young woman and she's apparently very, very timely. I do recommend you watch uh, Lady Bird. It's a good contrast for Brooklyn because it's San Diego in the early noughts. It's a young girl who goes to a Catholic school. They're not Catholic, but it's a safer, more tolerable, more academically serious school. And you see the kinds of freedom America can offer now and how catastrophic they are. Huh. All right, I'll try it out. This was a more pleasant movie to talk about than Never Let Me Go. Indeed. <laughs> I'm glad that our Middle Brow series can now offer people some relief and indeed enjoyment. This is the sort of thing that people should be talking about more and learning from and showing to other people. It shows you what beauty is for. It will do no good to tell people about the truth, the beautiful and the just and what have your values. Right. But you can always show them this. And we should all avoid the eighth deadly sin of giddiness. <laughs> well, I believe you and I are in no danger, but... <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Okay, Flag, thanks for bringing this up and for doing the work of reading the novel, although you seem to have enjoyed yourself at your job. Yeah, well, I mean, only the extensive remuneration, you know, is making all this... <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, And uh, let's figure on something else to talk about soon. I have some recommendations. I'd like your opinion on a movie called The Finest Hours, which is not at all a Churchill movie. It's about this American Irishman in 1962 in a little port of Nantucket, I guess, in New England. It's the only other recent story I have seen that tells a lot of important truths about mid-century America in a Tocquevillian mode that makes use of selective nostalgia and avoids the sordid. That one is a true story. 
unlike Brooklyn, it was a big production. A movie cost $70 million if it cost a cent. But it uh, uh, disappeared into the nothing. The studio and the press buried it, and it is a very good movie. That's too bad. That's too bad. Okay, yeah. check it out. Maybe we'll chat about that to some other time. Meanwhile, thanks for the conversation. It was a pleasure, and let's do this again soon. Okay, sounds good, Titus. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.